0: Uh, We're entering that kind of season again. We're ready to roll. We can actually go set up the kitchen. And minister to those in need. And so we invite you to get involved in that. Next week there will be a list in the bulletin, uh, uh, an insert that will show you some of the supplies that we need to start gathering to outfit our truck and everything. But, um, you know, it's that time of year in Oklahoma. So batten down the hatches and let's get ready to roll. Amen. So, uh, well, you'll remember two weeks ago now, since we didn't get to have service last week, uh, two weeks ago uh, we began a series called Pain Perspective. And I told you that basically in life we always say there are two things that are guaranteed. Death and taxes, but we added a third and said that pain is guaranteed. We established that fact because in Genesis chapter 3 verse 19, God speaks to Adam when Adam and Eve make the mistake of disobeying God and one of the curses that befalls man in chapter 3 verse 19 is he says to Adam, you will be working in pain all your life long. Thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate you. Appreciate your ministry because now what that means is, is that pain is promised and pain is real. So our pain is literally caused by our fallenness. You will remember that statement. I want you to get that deep into your spirit because a lot of times we question why I do, as a good, I see good people going through bad things. Yeah, you do. It's because of our fallenness. But we also made this statement our hope is wrapped up in our Father. Because although our fallenness caused us to fall into pain, our father loved us so much that when we fell, he said to us, look, I will be a help to you in the middle of any needy situation that you find yourself in. You can turn to me. He loves you so much as your father that even though you deserve because of our fallen nature to go through what we go through, God says, "Ah, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to father you during that. Anybody thankful this morning? that we serve a Father that loves us, that even though we may be in pain, He doesn't leave us alone. Nobody, I'm the only one. I'm thankful this morning. So, so although pain is promised, so is His presence. And so I said to you that we struggle with perspective, not because we believe God causes pain. We struggle with perspective because we fail to grasp this concept that God uses our pain. He, he sees us in pain, and the Bible talks about how God can turn all the evil that the enemy meant by our pain into our good. We sang about that this morning. I'm thankful this morning. So we talked about the fact that pain is a pervert. It causes you to paint a perverted picture about our past. We, we, we get so wrapped up in the wrong perspective about pain. When we're going through pain, we have a tendency to look back into our life and call bondage freedom. That's how perverted pain is. We, we go through pain right now, and we're in so much pain, we begin to long for days past when we fail to recognize or perceive that those days in the past, we were literally in bondage, and now we're, we're so much in pain right now that we look back, and go, "Oh, that was freedom. I long for those days." Anybody ever wish for the good old days, and you failed to realize they weren't so good? When you really stop and think about it, they weren't as good as we paint them to be. Pain is a pervert. It, it clouds our perspective so that we pervert a, a season that we begged to get out of, that we prayed to get out of, that we fasted to get out of. Now in our own mind, it twists, pain twists our mind's perspective to now we begin to say, that's a season that was a season of pleasure and it was not. Pain causes us to forget the details. Pain causes us to forget reality. Then we talked about this fact that pain has this ability to cause you to become, if you're not careful, to become angry at the very people God has assigned to assist you while you're in pain. Anybody ever attack somebody that was actually trying to help and you thought they were trying to hurt and your, your mind is so messed up because of the pain that you can't perceive that they're trying to help you. So now you go on the attack and you blame them and it wasn't even their fault. Uh, Okay, nobody's been, uh, just me, I guess. So so we end up attacking those. So we tend to run to relief rather than running to relationship. A lot of times in life, if you're not careful in a season of pain, you will want out of the pain so badly that you will run to relief and run away from relationships that God has placed in your life to help you. And all you want is relief. But how many of you know sometimes if you find relief and exit relationships, your relief can lead you right into destruction? And I use the example of an alcoholic who's trying to find freedom, and now all of a sudden because of the withdrawals and the pain in their body and the pain in their mind, and, and, and they want to escape from reality, they will run to the drink as relief and find themselves running straight to destruction rather than staying in the relationships that God sent their way. So this morning I want us to go further and I want us to continue to expose pain and get some perspective and, and and understand that even though pain is real and even though it's present and even though it's excruciating, we can still navigate it successfully. So I want you to join me in a painful passage. It's not an unfamiliar passage to you. We've actually used it before, but I, I, I want to look at it a little different this morning. First Kings chapter 19 beginning in verse 1, we're going to read this passage, and I want you to read it and see if you can't pick out some pain. It says this, First Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets, and Jezebel instantly or immediately sent a message to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I will get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. And when Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there, and then he went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, and wanting to, in the, in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. And suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and to his surprise right by his head, there was a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. And he ate the meal and went back to sleep. And the angel of God came back and shook him awake again and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. And he got up and he ate and drank his fill and set out. And nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights. Man, that must have been some meal. 40 days and nights, all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. And when he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. Then the word of of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophet. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Can I read No, I'm not going to read it like I want to read it. Maybe I might come back to it. This is an account that we've talked about. We talked about this account in a series we did last year called Framed. We talked about how the enemy will try to frame how you think because, uh, and we, we focused on the passage of Scripture where Elijah says, the, the Scripture says where Elijah says, I see how things are, and they weren't really like he saw. His perspective was messed up, but this morning I want us to visit again and, and see some things about pain in here. See, what you've got to understand is that when you walk into this passage, you've got to recognize that there's a background. The background is, is that Elijah has been mightily used by God. This is not a failure we're reading about. This is a successful, anointed, God used man. I mean, let, let's think about it. He he calls a drought into effect. I mean, he ain't playing. This this guy don't play. He 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 calls to God. God responds, and a drought hits the land. Y- y'all, y'all remember? Y- you'll remember that that uh, he he was used to bring provision to a widow during the drought. Remember that? Do you remember the fact that he's so powerfully anointed by God that he actually brings the widow's son back to life? This guy ain't no joke, man. This guy has the power of God moving through him. Then on, an, on another occasion, he, he gets in this standoff with 450 prophets of Baal. And he prays a very short prayer and fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice that he made and soaked in water. And then, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, rises up and single-handedly, all by his little lonesome, slays 450 false prophets all by himself. And don't think they didn't resist. You're just going to stand there and let somebody, I mean, come on now. He's a one-man wrecking crew. And then, because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he grabs his cloak and he, he calls an into to the, the drought. Rain starts, he sees rain on the horizon. He grabs his cloak, he raises it up, and he outruns a chariot pulled by horses for 26 miles. This guy's a stud. I want him on my team. Yeah, okay, so, so that, th- th- this is a powerful man of God, yet this man that so used by God had no pain perspective. Ahab reports to his wife Jezebel what Elijah has done, and she sends Elijah up a, a nasty private email message chat and threatens him and says, I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets. And in response, Elijah immediately exits his victory dance and the celebration of God's faithfulness and has one huge pain party. He runs for his life. And it is in that dash that we learn lessons. I'm going to give you a couple for free and then I'm going to give you some to write down. Uh, Here's a couple for free. You should never make decisions when you're tired because you will almost always make the wrong one. When you examine Elijah's life in this passage, he must have been exhausted spiritually, physically, emotionally in every uh, aspect of his life because he makes a stupid decision. You should. Ne- Some of you are exhausted right now. Some of you have been faithful and you've fought the battle and you've been holding on and hanging on and crying out. And you're so worn out. If you're not careful, you will make decisions in this moment that can destroy you. Don't make decisions when you're tired. The second thing, this is a free one too, is is most often you are the most vulnerable right after a victory. Some of you have pushed through and you've seen God come through and you've experienced a breakthrough. And if you're not careful in that very moment, right after that kind of victory and that kind of breakthrough, you will lay down your defenses and you become the most vulnerable in that moment. You've got to keep your guard up. And then just a question that I have based out of this, I just, I don't have the answer, but why is it that folks in pain tend to run to dry places instead of places full of life? I don't have the answer to that, except I'm just trying to ask the question so maybe you'll rethink where you run. So, 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 the, the, this this is what we learn from this passage. We learn that pain plots. The enemy desires to use pain in our life, he, 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 capitalizes on painful situations and moments that you're going through. And he does it because he's plotting against us. And there are three things that I want to share with you this morning that pain tries to get us to do. And they build on one another. It's a stepping stone. He starts at the first uh, piece of uh, plot. And then he tries to elevate it and cause it to increase in your life. So that you'll go from one level to the next. So that he can ultimately gain his purpose. He's plotting against you. Let Let me see if I can help you. God sees Elijah in pain and asks him, why are you hiding in this cave? And Elijah's response reveals the plot. He says this, I have been working myself to death. The people have abandoned you and they've abandoned me. I'm the only one left are you ready here we go these are the ones you need to write down here's what the enemy tries to accomplish in our pain if you don't keep the right perspective the first one is this he will try to get you to start complaining I've worked so hard the people have abandoned us God I'm the only one left his pain causes him to turn into a whiner When I read this passage, can I I tell you that I I can't hardly read it without actually taking on that tone? Oh, God, they all left me. They hung me out here to dry. I'm the only one faithful, God. I'm the only one left. Oh, God, that's how you want to read it. He is one big stinking whiner. Am I right? That's what he's doing. He's complaining. He has just seen and been used to orchestrate some of the most incredible miracles recorded in Scripture. And now like a school child, he wants to talk and he wants to sulk and he wants to complain because nobody likes me and it's said that this is too hard and nobody will play with me anymore, God. And I'm all out here by myself, God. Complain. See, what you need to understand this morning is that complaining is cancerous. The enemy knows that if he can get your perspective to become fuzzy due to pain, listen to me, you will forget all that God has done for you already and you will begin to complain about what you don't have. See, it, we, can, I, can I just remind you, you're, you're, you're mature enough to deal with this. You, you, we have a pretty clear account of what happens when people complain. Scripture's not silent. Go back and read. What takes place when you read about the children of Israel and they begin to complain in the in the desert? Uh, they circled for 40 years. Some of you are so trapped in complaining that you are literally circling the same issue the same thing over and over and over in your life and it always comes back I wouldn't be this way if my dad hadn't left me I wouldn't be this way if my wife hadn't left me I wouldn't be this way if I hadn't lost that job if I could have got that car if I could have got that friend and you begin to complain and it causes you to circle see God uh, can I can I clue you in God and people typically don't respond favorably to complainers. Just, uh, I know that's, that's deep. in God and people, see, I, I've, I've realized this. God and people don't mind it when you make your petitions known. If you have a genuine need, I don't mind you telling me about your need. I don't think God, in fact, Scripture says to make our petitions known. But how many of you know that complainers are avoided? If you're setting, never mind, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. (laughs) Uh, Why? Because listen to me this morning. Complaining is the language of the hopeless. If you're caught up in complaining all the time, what that literally says, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're, literary, if you're complaining nonstop, you've always seen the fault in things. It's never what I thought it was going to be. What you're revealing is the condition of your heart, which says, I don't have any hope. See, when we complain, we, we do so because our perspective has changed. I would say to you this morning that complaint is a direct result of taking our eyes off of God. Elijah didn't complain when he looked to God. Elijah only began to complain when he looked to Jezebel. Think about that a moment. He squared off against 450 prophets all by himself, and he never makes one complaint. But when one woman, that's a different message. uh, He falters. Y'all don't preach ahead of me too far. Uh, He falters because he takes his eyes off of God for one moment. And his perspective becomes so messed up that he begins to complain. See, in the book, Springs in the Valley, the writer tells of a man who found a barn which contained the seeds that Satan sows into the human heart. And he found that the seeds of complaining were quite numerous. And he learned that these seeds would, be, would grow very fast anywhere until he said to Satan, where can seeds of complaining not grow? And Satan reluctantly admitted that there's only one place that he can never get seeds of complaining to grow he said that's in the heart of a grateful man the moment you lose perspective and become ungrateful for what already God, what God has already done you will begin to complain Elijah's pain plotted against him to cause him to look at what he didn't have rather than what he did have. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 the writer commands us to do everything without murmuring or complaining. Everything. We've talked about that in, in the Greek before. Do y'all, let, let me see how astute you are in Greek this morning. Anybody got a clue what everything means in Greek? Everything. Well, I'm, I'm so sick. Everything. I'm so broken everything. I'm so busted. Everything. I hate my job. In everything. I hate the cards I've been dealt. In everything. Do everything without complaining. Pain causes us to demand to pass on this command to do everything without complaining. Complaint reveals a lack of of contentment which in turn reveals a lack of connection to Christ. In everything. Notice it didn't give us any, any uh, footnote. Well, there's, have y'all ever looked at that passage of scripture? There's probably, there's got to be a little asterisk beside it that says, you know what, unless you're facing this, then it's okay to complain. No, everything. See, that, that's the first step. He tries to get us to complain. The second step that he tries to, to plot against us to do is he wants us to move out of complaining into comparing. Think about this a moment. Elijah moves out of complaining and he begins to compare. They have all abandoned you, God. It's them. They did it. They're not living where they're supposed to be. I'm the only one that's remained faithful. I'm the only one that cares about you this much, God. I'm the only one that serves faithfully. I'm the only one that gives this much time. I'm the only one that gives this much money. I'm the only one that gives this much effort. I'm the only one, God, just me. And he begins to compare to everybody else listen to me this morning carefully catch this when you are experiencing great pain in your own life if you are not careful your pain perspective will cause you to look, overlook other people's pain stop I started I started thinking about this it would have done Elijah some good to remember that he was the only one during the drought that wasn't effective affected other than the widow that he provided provision for think about this a moment now in the entire nation everybody's crops are dying cows are dying children are dying except for the one doing the comparing because he had this like divine food service and he had a he had his own private water supply and yet now because he's in pain he overlooks everybody else's pain and compares. Pain plots to make you believe that you're the only one that's ever suffered. Y'all missed that. That was good. I, I know it's not profound, but it was good. Pain will cause you to believe I'm the only one that's ever been sick like this. I'm the only one that's ever been broke like this. I'm the only one that's ever had a job they hate this much. I'm the only one who's got kids that act this crazy. I'm the only one. And you begin to compare Pain causes you to play the comparison card and you get yourself in trouble because then you start to think no one's got it as bad as I do. No one works as hard as I do. And Paul says that it is foolish for us to compare ourselves to others. Here's a new perspective for you pain can literally produce pride in your life. Now, it's pride in reverse. Because now you move away from, from I'm the best. So now what we do is we allow pride, pain pride to rise up in us and we become the worst of the worst. Which is still pride just in reverse. Ever met one of those folks? You try to help them and you, you just don't know how bad. You ain't never felt this before. You've gone through the same thing they went through but they say your, their pain is worse than your ever. It's pride. That's pride. If in your own mind you have this conversation with God or with your spouse or with your friends and you literally make this statement, nobody's ever had it as bad as I have it right now, that's pride. And you've played the comparison card. See, what happens is comparing will lead you to resentment and it will produce bitterness that breaks down relationships. How do you know if you're going down this road in pain? Let me help you this morning real quickly. You will know if you are playing the comparison card because you will literally come to the place where you despise other people's blessings and you will hate other people's breakthroughs. So that now when they're getting healed and you're not, it makes you mad. Now you're too spiritual to tell anybody. But it makes you mad. And when you see somebody get the financial breakthrough that you've been hanging on to and they're coming out of of a, a broken situation, it literally makes you mad. Oh, you pat them on the back and say, oh, I've been praying for that for you for a long time. Thank you, Jesus. But you're ticked off inside. And what happens is pain causes you to compare rather than to celebrate. And at that moment, You disqualify yourself from getting what you've been asking for. But here's the final and the last step that that pain tries to plot to get us to do. Pain, the enemy tries to use pain to cause us to complain. And he, he tries to get it to elevate us to the place where we begin to compare. But here's the last one and the most severe one. This is literally what he's trying. All of the other is just to get you to this one. And that is this. He wants you to check out. Elijah checks out. Used by God, now he runs for the heels. Used miraculously, now he hides in isolation. His pain literally causes him to withdraw, and he ends up all by himself. And I just came to tell you this morning that the most miserable place in the world to be is to be in pain and be alone. Pain can be endured when you are with pain partners those people that God assigns to you. But it is when you you allow pain to isolate you that you are in danger of complete and total destruction. If we fail to gain perspective, pain can cause us to pull out of and withdraw from every meaningful relationship, every assigned ministry, and lose every opportunity that God has for us. That's what happens in Elijah's life. Let me see if I can help you and then I'll get out of your way. Elijah shows us that pain plots to get you to check out of community. The first thing he does is as he's running in pain, the Bible said that he leaves his servant behind. The one assigned to assist him. The one assigned to make him comfortable. The one that is supposed to be alongside of him and to help him. He leaves him behind. He breaks community. And then if you read the passage further, what you discover is that in the end, God says, what are you talking about you being the only one? I got 7,000 folks out here that are faithful, but because you have, your pain perspective is so jacked up, you think you're the only one? Newsflash, there are seven other, 7,000 other people out here, a community out here that love me with all their heart and that are certain you're not all by yourself, but his pain tries to get him to check out a community. Some of you are checking out a community because you think you're the only one. Not only that, pain tries to get him to check out of communion. Think about it a moment. You go on and read the scripture and, and, and Elijah's trying to hear from God and he can't seem to hear from God and finally he, he hears God in the still small voice. Y'all know the passage. I don't need to read it for you. You, you know that. But really what's happening is he's got so much pain in his life that he allows pain to become a ceiling that knocks him off of communion with God. He can't even hear God anymore. Here's a guy that heard God say, take on 450 prophets of Baal and pour water over the sacrifice. Here's a prophet that heard God say, go down by the brook and I'll I'll give you food and water. And yet now all of a sudden, he can't hear God anymore because of pain. And then finally, it breaks down his calling. And that's what pain's ultimate goal in your life is to do, is to get you to walk away from your calling your assigned place in fact it gets so bad that God looks at him and says what are you doing here Think, stay with me pain can lead you to a place where God says to you what are you doing here let that sink in. That has sunk into my life this week as as I've, I've pondered this passage over and over and over again. We can literally get in so much pain that you can allow yourself to check out to the point that God says what in the world are you doing here? I never intended for you to be here. You're no longer where you were called to be. You're no longer in your place. You're no longer in your role. You're no longer taking care of your assignment. Pain is not supposed to have more power in your life than God. But if you allow it to distance you from where God called you to be or you allow it to keep you from doing what God has called you to do then you are in the middle of a power struggle and God is not winning what are you doing here I recognize that some of you are sick in your body, and your pain, your body is racked in pain, but that does not mean that you, you have to allow that pain to cause you to check out of God's assignment for your life. You may not be able to stand at a door and greet, but that doesn't mean you can't still minister for God. Some of you are broken in your finances, and you think, I can't afford to even go serve anymore, and you check out, and you allow it to dismiss you from your assignment, but I'm here to tell you that you don't have to allow that pain to separate you from where God has called you to serve. Some of you are broken in relationship and you think I'm a second class citizen and I can no longer serve and I can no longer minister because I've failed in relationship. But I want to say to you, what are you doing here? I want to tell you this morning that even in the midst of your pain, God can still use you and the pain of a broken relationship does not dismiss you. See, when you allow, when you withdraw, it it isn't long until you become weak. And when you're isolated, it it isn't very long until you're inconsolable. You become easy pickings for the enemy when you're alone. If you will, listen to me, I'm done. This is the last statement I'm going to make to you. When you allow pain to isolate you, hear me this morning. Because some of you continue to allow what you're going through to paint you into a corner. I'm all by my. You find yourself saying the same things Elijah you saying. I'm all by, I'm the only one. When your pain isolates you, your enemy will annihilate you. So here's the plot if I'm in pain, the enemy's trying to use, me, use my pain to get me to start complaining. Doom and despair and agony on me. I'm the only one. Then the, the enemy will try to get you to compare. Boy, they don't have it as bad as I do, and they, they ain't hurting as much as I'm hurting. They don't give as much as I give. They don't serve. I'm out. I'm at this stinking church every Sunday, and they ain't doing squat. So then, when they get blessed, they don't deserve that blessing. That was my blessing. That was my healing. They didn't pray as much as I prayed. They didn't fast like I prayed. God, what is wrong with you? Ultimately, what it does is it gets us to check out and we isolate ourselves. and, And all of a sudden, community is broken off from our life. And communion with God is broken off from our life. And ultimately, our calling becomes broken because we're not where we're supposed to be. We need to gain some pain perspective this morning and understand that if you're in pain right now, if you're not careful, the enemy will use it to plot against your life and he will try to isolate you and weed you out and get you all by your lonesome. Why? Good plans for you? Not quite. His job description is still the same today. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. And I got news for you this morning. He cannot kill you, and he cannot steal from you, and he cannot destroy you if you are in community and in communion and if you're in your called place. That's why we need one another. I want you to stand with me this morning. Some of you are enduring pain right now. We've got folks in our body battling cancer. We've got folks in our body fighting physical issues that we don't even know what's causing them. We have folks in our body that are fighting financial issues where they don't even know how they're going to make ends meet. We have folks in our body that are fighting relationship issues and they are broken in their spirit because of what they've endured at the hands of another individual. And if we're not careful, we'll check out. And the moment you check out, God goes, what what are you doing here? And so I just want to say this to you and then I'm going to pray over you and and then I'll... some of you have withdrawn you were locked in you were in relationship and you have checked out and I want to say to you this morning it's time to check back in for your own good and for the community that you're supposed to be a part of we need you and we can handle your pain we may not be listen. we may not be able to fix your pain but we can handle your pain. This is a safe place for you to come. These are safe people for you to get into the middle of and say, hey, I'm in need. I may not be able to pay all your bills and I may not be able to rub my hands together and and, and heat come out of them and lay hands on you and get you healed. Probably not. That that just doesn't seem to be my gift. But Let me tell you what I can do and what these folks around you can do. They can love on you and they can hold your hands up when you don't have the ability and the power to hold your hands up anymore. And they can pray when you can't pray. And they can hope when you can't hope. And they will watch, watch for you and guard you and, and secure. Man, they will. we got folks in this house that God has assigned to you. But pain will plot to destroy that relationship. Father, this morning, you know the condition of each person's life. Under the sound of my voice. There are some of us that are in the early stages of complaining. It's the language of the hopeless. We're we're so beat down that all we know to do is complain. Now people are avoiding us because we've complained so much. God, I pray that you would give us new perspective and remind us of what you've already accomplished in our life. God, I pray that every time we open up our mouth and begin to complain, you would remind us that we have been commanded. We have not been given a pass. We have not been given uh, 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 the ability, uh, a negotiating point where we're allowed to complain a little. You said to us, it's a command, do everything without complaining that means I will endure sickness without complaining it's not that I won't let my need be made known I will but I won't do it with complaining God I, I'll let my, my bad job I hate it but I will not complain God the, the hurt in my life the, the the relationships that are broken they're destroying me in my own spirit but I refuse to complain because if you never do another thing for me you've done enough that my heart and my mouth is filled with praise and I know that you have my best interest at heart and I have enough track record with you to know that I can continue to praise my way through God there are folks under the sound of my voice that have begun to compare and it's getting them in dangerous territory God I pray this morning that you would allow us to quit comparing ourselves with one another God, we are going through what we're going through because that's what you intended for us to go through so that you could show yourself strong. And when other people are blessed, when I've been longing to be blessed and I see other people blessed, I pray that rather than get angry, I would begin to celebrate because that's what you've commanded us to do. And God, for those under the sound of my voice that have begun to check out and they're allowing their pain to cause their community of believers to be broken off of their lives. Assigned relationships are being left. Communion with you is becoming difficult. I can't hear your voice anymore. And God, I've laid down my call because I feel like my pain disqualifies me. God, this morning I pray in the name of Jesus right now you would check us back in and we would get engaged again and we would become connected again and we would find ourselves where you assign us to be and we would learn to see clearly in Jesus name this is how we're going to end this this morning would you please would you please take a moment and speak to the people around you and ask them is there any pain in your life that I I can walk with you through I may not have the answers. I may not have the solution, but I'm here, and I want to connect with you. I don't want you to check out and find yourself fighting this kind of pain all by yourself. You may have to move out from where you're sitting to wherever God assigned you this morning, but would you just take a few moments as they play, and would you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to a one or two people and make a connection with them this morning so they'll know they're not all by themselves. Come on, move, 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 move.